Hello everyone, my name's Steph, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we're going to be uh, carrying on in our Ephesians series today. So if you have a Bible with you, please can you turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Before we read the passage, um, I'm going to give you a quick recap on, um, on last Sunday where uh, Dan very helpfully, um, as we're looking at the last half of Ephesians chapter 2, spoke about how um, the gospel, obviously signified by the cross, the shape of the cross where Jesus was crucified, has the vertical beam, um, which speaks to us of the fact that through Jesus' death on the cross, he reconciles us to God. So where we are by nature alienated from God and from the life of God, through Jesus' uh, death on the cross, him pouring out his life for us, his blood, his life, if you like, uh, paying the debt that we owe because of our wrongdoing, he, he satisfies the, the, the just and right wrath of God that we might be reconciled and adopted into the family of God. Hallelujah. The cross also has a horizontal beam and um, we don't often talk as much about this really important fact that through our being reconciled to God, that also, also Jesus was reconciling in his body um, Jew and Gentile. He was reconciling those who were considered to be the people of God through the old covenant um, and those who really had no history with God uh, and, and typically were into all kinds of idol worship. Jews and Gentiles or Jews and non-Jews are reconciled into one new man. In, in, in Jesus Christ. And really, these were, these were the most polar opposites one could imagine. And so what we also learn from that is that really every wall that separate, separates people is broken down through the cross. And uh, so Paul then, he's just taught that wonderful um, um, horizontal beam element and then he starts uh, Ephesians 3 verse 1, if we could have that up. Thank you. So for this reason, I, Paul... A prisoner of Christ for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you've heard, so he's broken off. He's about to say something. For this reason, the horizontal being God reconciling Jews and Gentiles. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's saying who he is and then he breaks off. Ah, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I've broken off there at the end of verse 14, because if you look there for this reason... If we then go back to the first slide at the top, for this reason, 
Everything in between, that for this reason, and the last for this reason, is what we call a parenthesis. A parenthesis is where you're, you're saying something that triggers something in your mind, so you quickly explain that, or maybe not so quickly if you're Paul. You quickly explain that, and then you go back to the original thing. You understand how that works? So, for example, let me try and think of one uh, off the top of my head. Don't, it's not going to be too profound. Um, so, um, I can't even think of one. I've gone blank. Right, so anyway, you understand the point? Yeah, great, well done. So, it's a parenthesis. Now, listen, here's what I want to just draw attention to before we get into the text, into the words. The Holy Spirit was very happy to inspire this man's writing. He frequently goes off on parentheses. Parentheses aren't always bad. Sometimes our life takes on a bit of a parenthesis. I.e., we were doing that, and then all of a sudden, but then it comes back to that. But we can often view that parenthesis as a nuisance, a disruption, a distraction, a failure, which actually very often, actually, if our heart is teachable and open always, God will weave that into his grand plan. I just wanted to say that at the start. I know that's not, I'm not preaching the text here. I'm just saying, look, God's happy to use parenthesis in literature and in our lives. It's not, and I think it's really important that we understand this, that we don't get into, into that really, really toxic mentality of thinking that um, the way we think things are going to work out, which is normally pretty straightforward, is the way. And is the best way. And is God's way. God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So even if today you, you, you've been on some kind of parenthesis, and you, you know, or you're in the middle of one, do not fear. God is bigger. Amen? God is bigger. And God will weave it in and make it count. He won't just weave it in. He'll make it count. Somehow you look back and you say, somehow, surely on one level I can't see how that was God's will, but on another level this, this master of all chess players has made it work to his glory. And, and, and I've actually, I'm at, he's actually using it in my life. So let's just bear that in mind. I think it's really, really um, important. But what he's doing in this parenthesis is really he's strengthening the bond with the, um, with the readers. He's saying, um, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on your behalf. Isn't someone saying that to you? You could, you could feel a bit bad. But how does he end? He says, actually, don't, don't, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. It's, your, it's for your glory. This is your glory. So he's not trying to make him feel bad. He's not trying to say, look where you lot have landed me in a dungeon. But what he is saying is he's saying, this, he's saying, he's saying me, this archetypal Jew, I'm laying my life down for you Gentiles. We're one. And what God has done in, in, in bringing us together is not just, when we talk about unity, we must make sure that we, that we allow the real meaning of this to go deeper than meaning that we can sit in the same room and share tea and cake together. This is where we learn to lay down our lives for one another. That's covenantal living. That's true church life. Where we learn to lay down our lives for each other. Jesus said, no, greater love has no one than this day. And he lays down his life for his friends. And he said, this is how the world are going to know that you really do belong to me. By the way, you love one another. And that word love, that agape love, means a commitment to do one another good. And that is often at our own cost. That's church life. And it's not a bad thing, and it's not a sad thing. It's a glorious thing. 
And maybe a lot of our world has kind of fallen for the fallen for the idea that actually, if you can just live for yourself, narcissistic, just get all you can for yourself. That that, that that's that's the good way. That's the clever way. That's the shrewd way. So that kind of living will it may taste sweet in the mouth, but it's bitter in the belly. Because you realise in the end, this is eating me up. It's not bringing any satisfaction at all. There's something far greater that God has called us to, and part of that is that through Jesus Christ and through seeing his incredible laying down of his life for us, that we learn how, bit by bit, to lay down our lives for one another and serve one another in that way. And it creates, a, it creates something very, very powerful, as we'll see through this passage. And the other thing I want to draw attention to, I'm going to focus particularly on one verse, but before I get there, I want to just draw your attention to a few things I've done so far, but also just say the way Paul describes how he serves God. I think this is really important for us, particularly those of us that are in London here with all the things that compete for our attention, all the things that look to try and draw us in and, and, and how easy it is to suddenly find yourself overloaded with 101 things. Paul, um, he says this, he says that uh, in verse... Grace was given to me in verse 8 to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone... What is this plan of God? I'm going to preach and through doing Jesus and through doing that, I'm going to bring things to light. Now, let me ask you, does Paul, does Paul's life have a rich legacy? He's been gone for about 2000 years and he's been read by every generation since. And lives have been changed by what he's written. But he lived a very simple life. It wasn't a complicated life. He was a man of one thing. If you look at Jesus's life, actually, he was a man of one thing. And those who, those who accomplish much and those who leave the greatest legacy are often people of one thing. But that can be scary because often you can feel like you, it's better to hedge your bets and go for this and a bit of that and keep this going and keep that plate spinning. And there are seasons where it's a little bit like that. But I do think there's a wisdom in living a simple life. And that simplicity is actually something that we should pursue. And that complexity does not have merit in and of itself. And that the more things you're doing and the more things you're involved in, you might need to just stop and, and ask yourself, what am I trying to prove and to whom? Because God does not overload us. He's created 24 hours in a day. He's created you to need sleep and rest. He's created a, a, a rhythm of life. And it's really, really important that if we want to be fruitful that we honour that. And don't just think that we can, if the, the more we do, the more we'll get done. Not necessarily. So there's seasons of madness, there's seasons of business. There were times when Jesus was too busy to eat. I get it. I get it. But that wasn't like it was all the time. And it's just really important that we understand there is something uh, in, in this simplifying that's very, 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 very powerful. Um, and, and, and actually it's often a mark of humility. That you've allowed, you've allowed yourself to fit in the place God's got you. You're not trying to be everything. To everyone, but I want to focus on this verse today. This is this is a this is huge, right? So he's saying that um, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is extraordinary. He's saying that my I'm just going to forgot to do my commentary. Sorry. Um, hope we don't start squealing and squeaking. It's fine. He um. He uses this word manifold, which isn't probably the best word. I mean, it does kind of fit, but it's not really glorious enough. The, it, it kind of speaks of um, uh, uh, multicoloured. Um, it, it, speaks of, it speaks of diversity. I'll read you this quote from these scholars who always know how to say things much better than the rest of us. 
And uh, he says this on, in, in his commentary. He says, um, it's, a, it's a very wonderful thing. He says, uh, this word meaning manifold, variegated, very many-sided, was poetic in origin and referred to an intricately embroidered pattern of many-coloured cloaks or the manifold hues of a garland of flowers. It is used here in a figurative sense to speak of the richly diversified nature of the divine wisdom. There's something very diverse in the nature of God's wisdom. And actually, in, it's, not just, it's not just spoken in a vacuum, it's spoken in the context of God bringing together people from very different backgrounds and cultures and nations. That actually there's something in the God bringing together through Jesus Christ people from every nation that points to the diversely rich nature of the wisdom of God. And I want us to meditate on this today and understand that, that actually when we start to look at this we begin to realise that having a multiracial, multicultural, multi-everything in terms of background church is not, um, is not a bonus ball. It's not something you think if we could go for that that would be a really great option. It is essentially part of what the church is. That, that, it, that it's not just like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? No, 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 no. Our, God's plan is to demonstrate to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We'll look at those in a moment, what they are. But let me tell you, it's pretty big. God's plan is to demonstrate to them how, how, how um, multivaried and diversely rich his wisdom is. And he has got one plan. through which He's going to do that one way. He's going to do that through the, through the church. There's only one plan. There is no plan B. He's chosen his bride. Look around, folks. This is it. This is it. But who we are and how we are with one another in Christ has the potential and the power to, uh, to show forth the splendor of the glory of the wisdom of God into the heavenly realm in an extraordinary way. Which means that where you, wherever you've come from, whatever background, whatever class, whether you're more from a more working class, more middle class, aristocratic maybe, whatever class you are from, whatever, whatever educational kind of experiences that you've had, whatever cultural experiences you've had, actually the God, God, is, God isn't just saying, it's not just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll save you with no reference to where you've come from. God saves who you are. And he redeems you and he makes you brand new. But what he does is he's been, he's been orchestrating your life so that all the things you've experienced and where you've come from feed into his amazing church which shows forth the glory of his wisdom. And so it's so important that we understand that where we've come from and who we are has great bearing on the manifestation of God's wisdom in the heavenly places. Which means that how I think of myself in the context of church is hugely, uh, hugely important. And which is why I often think many, many people, is my observation as a pastor, my observation is many, many people struggle to fully and freely express themselves in church life. And if you put them in another context, they come alive. Believers. Many, many, I would say a higher proportion of believers struggle to manifest their true uh, culture, their true personality, their true way of being in the context of church um, compared to any other context. Now, if you bear in mind for a moment that it's God's plan to manifest his wisdom to the principalities and powers, angelic and demonic, through the multi 
varied, multicolored, the wisdom of God through the church, is it any wonder that it's a battle for people to fully express who they are in church life? Is it any wonder that people suddenly feel locked up in a church context? Is it any wonder that people suddenly find, wow, my, my mind was fine a minute ago, but suddenly in church I'm starting to compare myself left, right and centre and think I don't quite fit. Or I, Is it any wonder? Of course it's not. But it's, this, this is why we, you, you've got to fight where the battle is. And I believe there's a battle here for us to fight as a church. I really do. Because I think where we are, where God has put us, there is such potential for us to display such incredible variety. We've got to get it. We've, got, we've really got to grapple with this. And, and it, what it, you think, well, how do we do it? How do we, what it, t- it takes courage in our own heart from God and encouraging one another to really be who we are. I want to ask you, if you are in a minority culture in this room, if you would consider yourself to be in a minority culture, I would ask you to stand up. Yeah, I'm not going to hurt you. No, I don't buy it. But if you consider yourself one way or another, and I know these things can be very subjective, it's, you know, it's... You, but you, you would consider in some way or another, it might be class, it might be race, it might be, but you just feel, you know what, I consider myself in some way... Uh, to, to feel that I'm somewhat in, in the minority here. Um, I've got something to say to you. <laughs> you must not underestimate your contribution to this church. You must not sit on who you truly are. You must not believe the idea, the thought, somehow that how you express yourself in your culture doesn't fit here you mustn't do that because what you'll do is is that you will allow the dominant culture earthly speaking become the dominant culture of the church whereas God wants the kingdom culture to be the dominant culture of the church so it's really really important that that you do not dismiss where you've come from that you do not anglicise if that's what it is, if it's a racing, if it's if if it's the more of a class thing, and you're probably if you've stood up on a class line, you're probably thinking um, it's probably probably because you're working class, and you would have stood up because the predominant most people in the church are probably middle class. Listen, you must not become middle class. Nothing wrong with being middle class, but it's not you. It's not you, and it's not kingdom. Kingdom transcends that. So I want to just plead with you and urge you, and if I may be so bold, charge you charge you not to allow us to just become what we might naturally be because that does not display the full wisdom of God is that okay can I hear anything fervent and um, yeah <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting that that's great but okay okay great thank you very much so listen you are you've been charged you are under uh, obligation now because there are things that you will bring by your culture that will really really help us the predominant culture among us is English. Every culture has good, good sides, bad sides and neutral sides. And we must feel free to express both the neutral and the good sides of our culture.
because they will all add into the mix while pursuing the kingdom culture altogether. Let me explain what I mean. So, for example, one of the things, um, one of the things we're not so great at as the English culture is hospitality. It's not naturally a strength when you go to other parts of the world, particularly the East, you notice it. Um, you know, I remember hearing a story of a friend of mine who married a Filipino woman and um, she moved over here and they went round to the, they got invited round to the pastors, one of the pastors and their wives, they went round there and there was, it was tea and biscuits, you know, and she was like horrified, you know, just because whenever anyone comes, it's, it's, it's a meal, it's a, it's a, it's a real, it's meals, it's tea and biscuits, you know. Um, if you've got to bring that to who we are. You've got to bring that to who we are because actually that's a kingdom thing, hospitality. Abundant hospitality, showing love to strangers, that's a kingdom thing. And that's something that is, that is not a good element of English culture. We, 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 the Englishman's home is his castle and all of that. That's not good. That, we, need to, we need to leave that behind as we embrace kingdom culture. Um, but then there are other things that are just neutral. It's like you may dress in a certain way in your culture or like certain music or dance in a certain way. Bring that to church, please, as best you can. Bring it to church, please, um, because that will just add to the colour and the variety. That's a, that's a real good thing. That's a real God thing. So it's really important that you, that you hear that. Um, multiculturalism is not an option. Now, the, the world at the moment you know, loves diversity. You, know, you live in um, uh, London, particularly one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse city in the world. But the way the, the, way the world does diversity outside of the gospel is different. It's done, in, it's done in one of two ways, neither of which are fully healthy. I thank God for this city. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. But there are two elements to the diversity that we do that are not so great. The first way that people do diversity when when they're not in Jesus is that you give up all notion of absolute truth. So in order for us to be together, we've got to lay down what we truly believe about things and just say that doesn't matter and then we can get on. That's not not true gospel diversity. Um, Because what you end up doing, you end up in a, in a, a bit of a moral vacuum really where uh, all kinds of things are going on, people are believing in all kinds of things and living in all kinds of ways and no one can say, that's wrong! Because <laughs> you've sort of left that behind in the name of diversity. And then you, you end up with, just everyone does what's right in their own eyes um, and that's probably the, the, the natural destination of where our, our culture will go um, in this. So that's the firstly the wrong way of doing it. The second um, wrong way of doing it is that you actually don't really value diversity in your heart. You just say, yeah, you give it a nod. You say, yeah, absolutely. But it's really just being politically correct. You know what you're supposed to say, so you say it. You know what you're not supposed to say, so you don't say it. But your heart's not changed at all. Do you see what I'm saying? People still annoy you just as much as they're different from you. And you mutter, you mutter in your mind and in your heart, but you know you're not allowed to say things, so you don't say it. That is not the kind of diversity that the Lord loves. The Lord loves diversity that's built on Jesus Christ. The Lord loves diversity that where, where, we, where we say we know, we know what is true. God has, God has revealed it. And also we recognise that none of us, race, class, whatever we are, are on any higher ground than anyone else on the whole planet. All of us are lost without Jesus and are found in him. And as a result we can gather under him knowing that through him we've been found. That's true diversity and we must value that with all of our hearts. Now I want to just, um, and uh, the, the beautiful thing that, 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 that this commentary says is that when, when the church gets it, it's not, it's not when the church necessarily does evangelism that it shows the wisdom of God or, or social action, simply by the church being one. Simply by the church loving one another. There is this multicoloured ray that blasts into the heavenly realm that says, look at the wisdom of God. Look at what he's done through Jesus. 
There's something very powerful in our genuine love in Christ for one another. So I want to encourage us in this. We're not calling you to anything new or any new activity or project. It's let's understand who we are in him. Fully embrace it. It takes guts. takes courage. But we can do that. God will give us the strength. The final thing I want to look at is this whole idea of principalities and powers. Where it says that we should, they shine forth. I want to just read from here in terms of understanding what those things are. It definitely seems to refer to the, angel of God, the angels of God. The Bible says the angels long to look into the things of the gospel. There's something, there's something about the gospel that's still got the angels scratching their heads. You know, In terms of like, how, how has Jesus done this through dying on a cross? How, how, has, how has that worked? The, the, the glories, the wonders of what he has done, of what God has worked through his son by the power of the spirit. That angels are longing to look into it. But it's not just about God the angels. It says these authorities probably include the whole host of heavenly beings, good and bad alike. Although the apostles' particular concern, Paul's concern, is obviously with the hostile forces. The fact that evil powers are present in the heavenly realm indicates that heaven, like earth, is involved in this present evil age still. And the powers which reside there have already been defeated through Christ's death, but now are awaiting their final overthrow. So in the heavenly realm, there are still evil powers at work, dark forces at work, who are, oh, they're, 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 their doom is sealed. There's no, there's no question over whether they're going to win or lose. Christ has won. The Bible says things like he has abolished death. But it also says there will come a, there will come a time where this saying comes true. He's abolished death. And there's this now and there's this not yet. That is living in the kingdom that we live in. There's the now of it. He's done it. We can be confident. We can be secure. But the battle still rages. And so there's this tension of things don't always work out as we'd hoped. Tragedy does strike. Things do go wrong. We've all been following the, things, the, the, the situation in Paris over this weekend. I mean, these things are going on all the time around the world. We've been massively impacted because of the, the locality. <laughs> Because of how close it is, it's important that we realise this kind of thing is, is actually very common on our planet. It's very frighteningly common. But when it hits so close to home, I think for many of us, that we, 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 we sit bolt upright and it, it brings it right onto, right onto our doorstep. But the, the, this, this is massively relevant. What do, we do? what do we do? How do we interpret these kinds of things going on? Well, Jesus said, don't be alarmed when you hear of these things. Don't be alarmed. It's just the beginning of birth pains. These things must happen. These things must happen because the whole of creation is in labour, knowing that Christ has won, knowing that he's done, the job is done, but it's not yet. We're not at final liberation point yet. Jesus has come the first time, but we're awaiting for his second return where he'll make all things new. And, and, so, and the Bible says not just creation's in groaning and longing, but we ourselves, we groan and we long in ourselves, waiting for our final redemption. This is the age we are living in. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed when you see nation rise against nation. Don't be alarmed when you see these worldviews and these philosophies coming against each other and tearing each other apart. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll, you'll see that it gives an insight into what goes on in the unseen realm behind what goes on in front of our eyes. You've got these um, uh, forces depicted like different beasts, leopards and bears, and uh, all, all, with all these symbolic um, uh, horns representing power. and It's, it's, it's a scary scene. It's a scary scene, but never once throughout the whole of the Bible do any of these things undermine the sovereignty of God. And never once do they undermine his sovereign purpose. And so we are not to be alarmed. We have to, obviously, we'll feel sad, we pray, we, we serve where we can, but we are not to be alarmed. We're not to be scratching our head, looking around like everyone else, saying, what's going on here? We know what's going on here. 
nation will rise against nation. And we're not to set our hope in some kind of, in something that will just let us down, some, some promise. We've got, our hope is in one thing, the gospel. And through the gospel, God is bringing together all nations. And at the end, all nations will be gathered around his throne. And every, every being you could imagine, from the most mysterious heavenly being uh, to the creatures on the earth, will, will acknowledge the wisdom of God in what he has done through his son. I want to finish just by, I guess, calling us to our privilege, really. Calling us to our privilege. We, we are immensely privileged, those of us who know and love Jesus and have known his love in our life. We find ourselves in a, in a, in a place of such honour, such honour that we've been called to show forth the wisdom of God. I want us maybe to just spend a moment to just ponder, are we still laying our life down for one another? Or have we grown weary of it? The Bible acknowledges the reality that you can grow weary. It says, don't grow weary in doing good. At the right time, you'll reap a harvest. Have you, have you just backed off? Have you retracted? I feel this just prophetically now, just speaking. I feel that the Spirit wants to speak to some particularly. and It's like you've backed off from fellowship. I don't know, maybe there's things that have gone on, things that have... And you're, you're sort of at the moment, I guess you've it's sort of felt a bit like you've been trying to pursue, trying to work out following Christ outside of meaningful fellowship, church connection. And you, it's like you're starting to, you're starting to realise this isn't working. Um, and I just feel the Lord wants to speak to your heart today. You know who you are. And just say this because um, this is the way it is, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. The Bible knows nothing of sort of Christian mavericks, Christian lone rangers, Christian, even Christian really, really hurt people. To try to go it alone. Sad as that sounds, you're going to really struggle. He's provided, he's provided you with his, with his church. And no church is perfect. And you know what they say, if you find the perfect one, don't join it. Why? You ruin it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, so, no church is perfect. We're doing our best trying to work out how to follow Jesus. But I guess what I want to be bold to call us into a fresh laying down of our lives for one another. And I'm not saying you have to run around like headless chickens. It's not that at all. It's not like just chaos, madness. Everyone must bear their own load. But, but we learn to carry each other's burdens and live together and walk together and listen to one another and serve one another. The second thing I want to just talk, mention, just refer again to is simplicity. Some of you may be here just thinking, it's out of control. Um, let us help you with that. You know, we're not going to control your life, but we can, you know, sometimes it's just a place for going to someone who's bit older or a bit wiser, just, just for advice. I think it's so easy now to, you know, it's literally, you know, you, something, something's always pinging or something's always going and, you, you know, you think, oh, you can just get yourself in that headspace. The Lord maybe wants to help you simplify things so you can be fruitful, which is what we all want. And then the third thing is to, if you're in the minority here culturally, to value your contribution. And if you're in the majority, to value the contribution of others. It's really important. It's so, it, for those of us that are in the, in the majority, we have no idea what it feels like every gospel community or every Sunday when people who feel in the minority walk in. We have no idea. And if you want to test whether I'm right on that or not, I would ask you to visit a church community that is made up of a predominantly different culture from your own. And you'll have a sense of what numbers of people feel every week. And um, I just believe God wants to so transform our culture as a church. So that it's kingdom.
really genuinely transform it, that it breaks that stuff down. And that, and that those who join us know they, they feel in the rooms, when they arrive, they feel there is something here that transcends earthly camps. This power, you know, you know when it, you, you feel it in the air, powerfully, powerfully transcends it. 